Welcome to Inside the Chinese Mind, the podcast for learning how to work cross-culturally with China business and with Chinese people and about China business development. Your hosts, Dr. Helen Jung from Cambridge, United Kingdom, and Darren Fuchs from Thomson Gear Lawyers in Australia. In episode five, we gave a description of the three different fundamental levels of Chinese thinking. And I'll just recap on those three levels very quickly, where we actually go into these different levels in depth. And remember the thinking that is different with the Chinese starts with the yin-yang thinking perspective. That's level one, the thing that is most influential across all Chinese thinking. And that is not that there is a right and a wrong, an on and an off, and one position to go to, but that in every position, there is a balance between the different elements of that position. The second level is the three pillars of Chinese thinking, often referred to as Rashi Diao, which is Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism, and how those three different philosophies mix up and influence Chinese business and personal thinking. And the third level below that are the five core elements, which are specific areas that often come to the conscious mind of Chinese when they're thinking. And those five levels are firstly holistic thinking, thinking of all the different elements relevant to a decision as opposed to concentrating on the main elements of a decision. The second is the concept of Zhongyong, which is literally living life in the middle. Different to Western thinking where you always have to be number one and the best, a concept in Chinese thinking is no, because of the connectedness, you're part of a larger whole and the best place to live your life is in the center of that whole. Next is connectedness, where the big eye and the small eye is considered. In Italy, for example, people concentrate on the Il Campagna, or around the sound of their church bell. That is the most important area to Italians. They concentrate around the local area, the local comune, uh, area where they live their most of their life, or most of their life is lived. Next is the province they come from, next is the state they come from, and the last is Italy, where the English concept is king and country first, or queen and country first, then your local state, then your local province, and then your local town. How do the Chinese think? They think of themselves as being part of a connectedness where they're the small eye and China is the big eye in each sentence. Next, contacts and connect connections which are dealt with in Guanxi and Rinmei, which we'll deal with later. So on to the podcast. Level three, five core elements. And the first of those is holistic thinking. Chinese will often view a situation or business issue in a holistic sense. So they will see the, uh, the big picture first and then the details, perhaps. But that's probably why they... Uh, jump all over the place in negotiations or uh, in the way they they communicate sometimes. Um, yeah, and, uh, and they, might, yeah, I might say I think language has has a bit of a have a, a bit of an impact on that as well, Helen. In that the Chinese language is pictorial, and um, where the Western languages tend to be words in sequence, and so if you think of people who think verbally, that is in an order, their brain operates so that things tend to become sequentially. So 
A must lead to B must lead to C. And something I learned when I was a child, and, and still I think it's done at school today, is how the alphabet is learnt in Western society. So it's learnt as, a, as an auditory song. So we go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, and etc. <laughs> so people learn to learn the the words in an auditory fashion, which is very similar to the English language. But if you just sing that with me once here, Helen, so mm-hmm. sing it away. We start with A, so A, A B, B, C, D, E, e F, G. G. H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. So when people think of that way, they think they have to go, they think in an auditory way or in a sequential way. So, Helen, mm. can I ask you after repeating that, what's the first letter after B? C. Good. Yeah. What's the first letter after, after S? T. What's the first letter before H? Oh, <laughs> a B C D E F G G. <laughs> yes. So you, so as is often with Westerners, we've learned to think sequentially. So oh. you need to think through what were the letters before 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 I can get to the one after. Right. Or if I have to go the other way round, because I I think sequentially. Yes. I have to think of these things first before I can get to that point. Mm. In mm. and that's a very strong principle in right. Western verbal languages where the Chinese language is pictorial. So when they see the image, mm. they immediately, more often than Westerners, go to an image format. But if you see an image format, there's no left to right or right to left. There's no mm. sequence. Mm. So they tend to think of something holistically and can go anywhere in a picture uh, at any time. So I think that's one of the principles um, of language that makes a difference here and how that holistic thinking comes about in that Chinese often view uh, a situation as the overall big picture first because their training in language, for example, is in thinking of the overall picture first before you think down to the detail of what the picture means in this specific circumstance. That's fascinating, Darren. Um, Indeed, language shapes the mind and how Chinese um, just... My own experience, um, uh, grew up in China, we learn a subject since kindergarten, which is called Yuwen, literally means language and culture, those two words together. Oh. Uh, it's perhaps yes. equivalent to English, I suppose, in uh, the Western English yep. education system. But yep. over the years, so I still have Chinese characters that I don't recognize. Um, the most oh. uh, authoritative Chinese dictionary for Chinese words is called Zhonghua Zihai. So it literally translates into ocean of Chinese characters. It contains over 87,000 characters. So and how many words in the English language, Helen? I have no idea. The maximum is yes. about 36,000. Okay. The largest collections. Right. Uh, but that includes scientific words, etc., as well. Right. Um, where the common language of humans is something like 3,000 words mm. uh, and, and can range up to twelve to 15,000 words. Right. So, indeed, so I mean... There's a lot more definition. Yeah. There's well, a lot more definition mm. in Chinese language than there is in English language. Sure. And also it cuts up the world in a different way if you think 
pictorially as opposed to verbally. Yeah. So that's that's one big difference of how our mind, our brain are shaped differently by the language. Oh. Uh, we touched on yeah. upon the philosophies and um uh, for those um, three philosophies or all these other ones, for those who are really interested, there's a great book by Professor Feng Youlun um, called A Short History of Chinese Philosophy. Um, I'll put a link to that below in the podcast. That's a great idea. He wrote in the book that the role that philosophy plays in Chinese civilization in many ways is similar to religion in some other civilizations. Yes, and would it be correct to say that the holistic thinking of the Chinese doesn't just think on logical things or head things, but also includes heart things, probably more in balance than generally Western thinking does? I would say so, Darren, because um, you mentioned, and we're talking about language, just the word think itself in Chinese, mm. the bottom of this word is a heart. So it literally oh. means think with your heart. Yes. Where uh, and in, in the Western world, I mean, in China, in English, we say think. We, we, it's, you know, you think from your head, basically. <laughs> yeah. I've heard a nice description, which is, if you want to write a contract, write it in uh, English. If you want to write a poem, write it in Chinese. Right. So, so that's one of the five... Yes. The five core elements of level three. What's the second one, Helen? So the second one is yin-yang balance. We talk about the holistic thinking and we're now talking about Zhongyong. And uh, Darren, would you mind sharing the story with us? I will. I, I, I actually played a lot of soccer with uh, uh, Chinese people in, in Australia. And we play a, a casual game on Saturday. So these are engineers and accountants and, and business managers from companies like CNPC uh, or Sinopec, et cetera, which were based in Australia. These, these people were uh, from China with those major Chinese companies. And uh, so we formed a soccer match with uh, Chinese uh, Chinese people and myself and a few other Westerners. But right. it was, say, 90% Chinese on the field. Mm. None of us were professionals. <laughs> um, but what I learned is a very, what to me was a Zhongong way of playing soccer mm. where the outcome uh, and winning was not the goal. Mm. The, the, the goal was uh, to operate uh, in the middle, to mm. operate as part of the team and to have a great time playing together as a unified force. And it was great to see how uh, in English or Australian or uh, European soccer teams, they can often be a star, someone who's a fabulous player and the rest of the team will operate around them in certain ways. Uh, where in China you don't tend to see there being absolute stars, but you see the collective as being more important uh, and and the collective operate uh, uh, for the benefit of the whole group as opposed to individual. Um, and some of the examples of that in the soccer were uh, uh, if uh, someone felt I wasn't getting the ball enough, they'd start playing, uh, passing the ball to me so I felt part oh, of the team. That's or wonderful. if someone was, yeah, where... Uh, if someone was injured, literally the whole play would stop and everyone would run over and see how they were and wait until they felt better. And um, if that happened, uh, a couple of people would go across the side and get ice and put it on their knee or whatever during the match to make them feel uh, more comfortable. Uh, and also uh, in scoring goals, 
um, that would happen in the game, but no one kept the score. Right. No one worried about what the outcome was. Mm. So the overall goal was not to win. Mm. Mm. The overall goal was to play Jung Yong, to be in the middle, living life in the middle, um, and being part of the overall structure uh, as part of the microorganism of Chinese people operating together. Well, that's a wonderful example, Darren, of the true essence of Zhong Yong. And um, in business, it was the same. Where where I uh, many remember in years gone by, not so much today. You don't see it, but but uh, there would be say four different Chinese oil companies giving a presentations in order to a number of oil representatives in Australia, and uh, we'd see. Uh, people from Company A would go, get up to give their presentation. And during the presentation, if something went wrong uh, with one of the slides, you'd see people from uh, one of the other three oil mm. companies rushing up to the stage and helping them to fix it. Mm. Or if they saw that a representative from Company B during their presentation was struggling with something, other, party, other people from the other oil companies would call out and assist that person to present better. So the competition element between the oil companies wasn't the same as you see as the competition element between, say, American oil and gas companies or European ones. No, I agree with that, Darren. This perhaps um, uh, again we will have a, another session later to address the nature of businesses, how their structures are different. Um, these companies, as you mentioned, they're state-owned enterprises. So even yes. though in the Western perspective there are competitors, but in China, because their mentality is that they work for the government and the company is the government asset, they're just minders or gatekeepers. So yes. they don't yeah. really see um, each other as competitors. No. Perhaps this is yeah. a perfect time. You. Um, you're welcome, Darren. Perfect time for us to introduce the next concept in the third layer of the Chinese thinking, which is connectedness. So in, instead of, you know, in the West, we believe in born equal. Um, Chinese believe that we're all born connected. And the typical example, yeah, the typical, the wonderful story you shared with us on how everyone's playing together is not about winning. Uh, it's really about keeping this connection, um, keep the trust and maintain uh, the flow of energy, of interaction, of keeping each other in this um, uh, community. And song, popular songs today in China are about we're all sons and daughters of the dragon, Helen. Yes. <laughs> where, which indicate that uh, thinking that, we're, that all Chinese people are connected to each other uh, and serve in some way a collective purpose as, as opposed to an individual purpose. This is um, goes back to uh, the in the Chinese we have a big I, which is not the in the West with the I is capitalized. But in China, in Chinese, the big I stands for your family, your work unit, uh, your country, your hometown. Or you, So you always is a small I. You're the part of a bigger picture or a bigger group, a bigger community, oh. Darren. Yep. That leads us into the next song. one. Yep. number four. Yes, indeed. Yeah. 
and these the, the series of five elements here, which is the contacts and connections element. So, 关系 um, this is perhaps one of the most uh, discussed and analyzed and studied、uh, concept in the Chinese networking sense, Darren. Yes. Where、um, in my、uh, PhD research,、um, I actually looked uh, uh, further beyond guanxi, which is、um, this word here we're sharing with you, which is renmai. It literally means people and veins, as in、uh, network or tree-shaped like network of relationships. So、um, the the proposition is that in China, everyone says, you know, you you can go to a taxi driver. They will say, well, I know people in Zhongnanhai, which is the、uh, Chinese White House, basically.、Um, so Guanxi, there people can have a huge network of relationships of the so-called important people or influencers, but. If they're not nurturing them, if they're not、uh, looking after those key, critical, important relationships, they cannot mobilize them. And I think that Westerners will tend to think that oh, Guanxi and Rumai are really just saying、uh, networking, but it's much more than networking. It's much, much. It it uh, it uh, influences life in China, from buying vegetables or who you buy vegetables from. At the markets、uh, during the day, to where you、uh, whether you would do a merger of your organisation with their organisation and make something bigger in some way, such as a partnership, a joint venture, or an actual、uh, actual company merger. It it also includes elements, Helen, not just of networking, but of response of not not just at at networking, but also、uh, including、uh, sets of obligations to each other. So, for example, if A new person became the leader of the company. Then all the relationships would then alter depending on the set of relationships that that new leader has within the organisation, and everyone would adjust their relationships to each other to match the new Guanxi or Emma relationships between each parties、uh, between each of the persons.、Indeed. And also would include elements of obligations between parties. So didn't return that in the way that. I thought it should be. Well, there would be some ramifications for that in the future. That's a very simplified way of saying it. Helen, have you got a better way of saying it?、Um, well,、uh, first, I support that,、um, Darren. What you're saying, you know, when somebody's position change, or say, for example, got promoted or moved up to a more important position,、uh, that、um, influence the network or the renmai.、Um, so it, it's a dynamic. Um, network.、Uh, there is a Chinese saying:、uh, "When a new emperor arrived, so would a new government." Yes. So it literally,、yes. uh, you know, for an entrepreneur, such connections they're they're stronger and they're closer、uh, than just you know, 关系 I know somebody. I've taken a photo. I've sh- I've you know, sh-、uh, shaken hands with with someone. Yeah, it has embedded、um, expectations for you to retain, fa-、uh, return favors or、um, obligations.、Uh, often these are unsaid, but these are built and nurtured over a long time of someone's career or family,、uh, school or educational associations, and so on. These and these obligations 
perhaps non-verbal at times and, and certainly not recorded anywhere, is one substitute for or a different way of having obligations between parties as opposed to contracts enforced by courts. Of course. Yeah, I once met a uh, executive um, who works for the uh, Watson's Group. Um, you heard of the Watson's Group there, and it's a large uh, uh, group uh, which is part of Li Ka-shing's uh, enterprise. And um, yes. they bought a very profitable uh, Chinese supermarket chain. And uh-huh. uh, I was just asking, uh, you know, this, this executive, how did you guys come about and find this deal? He said, oh, the boss of the Chinese group and our boss, they always plays, you know, they always play golf together and they're friends for years. And uh, when this Chinese company is thinking of selling the assets, they, you know, the first um, call they made was to our boss. And our boss said, yeah, let's go ahead. And that's how we got the deal done. Fantastic. And does that lead us in our summary here to Miangzi or face as the fifth element? Yes. How important is face or Miangzi? Um, uh, I call it, um, it's, it's perhaps more important than life itself. Um, you have operated yes. and uh, visited Chinese, uh, many times there, and you know how on a banquet table, the Chinese will drink, uh, you know, they will drink themselves under the table just to show you how important you are. Indeed. Indeed. And in fact, maintaining face and giving face and not damaging face is such an important issue that I would suggest learning this one first and embedding it with a note and a, on your door before you leave home every day is, yeah. is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Well, I have um, – that was my biggest lesson, Darren. I actually yeah. uh, openly criticized a Chinese person in front of their um, the, their, their subordinate and um yes and not to mention the um devastation to the business but the person has never forgiven me mm. so and i it, and, <laughs> yeah and how you said there helen is never forgiven you is something that's it's quite common that if you you cause a loss of face there is no return no you, it was um, something that can last forever yes indeed and i remember a story of a uh, a lady who was uh, well, actually setting up a law firm uh, in uh, Beijing for an international law, law company. And uh, she'd engaged a very uh, capable uh, lady who would assist her to just set up the organisation. Uh, and the Chinese lady sent the Western lady a note about saying, we're going to have a meeting with these people uh, and this is what we're going to discuss and these are the uh, design outcomes we're going to have from the meeting, to which the Western lady replied, by, yep, that's great, but she really didn't read the note in any detail. Oh, no. They then got to the meeting, yes, they then got to the meeting in Beijing, and you can probably tell what happened, that that the uh, Chinese lady had actually set up with the people that I'm meeting with the outcomes that were designed to come from the meeting, which were in accordance with the note that she'd given to the Western lady. But, of course, the Western lady being the boss and arriving there, uh, not having read the note, uh, got into the meeting, heard about what was being said and said, oh, no, I, I want to change this, I want to change that. 
mm. and went through various and numerous changes uh, to uh, to what the outcomes were to be for the meeting, thinking that she was doing the right thing. Of course, that night after the meeting, uh, the Chinese lady says to the Western lady, oh, look, I've, I've got to go now. Um, I'll, uh, I'll chat to you later. Mm. To which the Western lady said, oh, look, I thought we could have dinner tonight. Mm. To which the Chinese lady said, look, I'm sorry, I've got a number of things I have to deal with from that meeting. Uh, let's chat later. Uh, the next day, uh, the uh, Chinese lady sent a email to the Western lady saying, I resign. Oh, dear. Uh, and the result, and of course, the, the issue was that the Chinese lady had lost face mm. with her counterparts uh, and her own Guanxi network, mm. uh, and which she had used to get benefits for the Western lady and her yeah. organization. Uh, and uh, because the Western lady hadn't prepared properly and agreed to the outcomes uh, you know, properly before the meeting and tried to change things in front of, you know, in front of the face of the people there, the Chinese lady was uh, embarrassed and had lost face with her contemporaries uh, and as a result uh, resigned and, uh, and uh, left the organisation. Oh, dear. Yeah. Mm. It's it's very very um, critical concept, which is as this um, costly um, exercise demonstrate, Darren. But you know, this is again the importance of communication. If only um, this Chinese lady communicated a bit more of how important this meeting is and what he she has done. Um, you know, for for the Western lady to become a bit more aware of of how much is at stake. Um, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that could have solved it. Another way would be for the Western lady to uh, perhaps understood that that could lose face and yeah. never take those sort of actions in a in a meeting with other people attending. Yeah. Behind closed doors, there are ways that these things can be dealt with. But certainly she uh, – another way of doing it would have been that she left the meeting agreeing with all of those things, mm. things saying what a great outcome was, and then uh, coming back to the Chinese lady individually later and saying, hey, look, I'm sorry, I didn't understand these things. Yeah. Should we now live with that or should we change these things? Uh, and very gently doing that and then leaving and, – and whatever the Chinese lady said was the best outcome to stick with that on the basis that those things could be changed later on if they needed to be. Yeah, absolutely. Possibilities mm, mm. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, later podcast, Darren will definitely talk about how to uh, not become aware, not just becoming aware of these um, important aspects of Chinese thinking, but also practical tools and ways to handle and prepare to ensure that, you know, the face is looked after. Uh, Renmai is is built or nurtured or expanded, as in the connection and the trust between you and the parties that are important or involved in the business or personal relationships. And again, remember, for Chinese, these two are are one. They're they're the yin and yang. They're they're not separate. For the Chinese people, a person to do business with a stranger. Is just fraught with danger. Indeed, and I think 
In future podcasts, we'll break all this down and go through it individually, and we'll also use examples from Chinese companies and organizations to see how these principles apply out in everyday life. So thank you, Helen. I thank think we've you. covered an awful lot in this podcast and look forward to getting into the details in our next podcast. Likewise. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, our podcasts. See you again soon. Okay. Thanks, podcasts. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Welcome to Beijing, ladies and gentlemen. We have just arrived at Beijing Thank you for one flight.